If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter one. This is a letter from Paul, one of his many letters to the churches. And as you're turning there, I want to set the context and why I chose this passage this morning. So a little background, the the letter to the Colossians was written around AD 60 while Paul was in prison. At this moment in history, he was actually in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. And and he, he, like our study in Hebrews, wants to show how Jesus is superior to all things. He, he wants the church there to hold on to Christ in two ways. We, we see this woven throughout the book. First, he wants them to resist the false teaching that was prevalent in the city. It was full of pagan religion and false teaching that he wanted them to hold fast in Christ as one body. He also, he wanted them to grow up. He didn't want them to stay infants in Christ. He wanted them to grow into maturity in Christ, not just for themselves, but to make an impact in their city. And to do that, he first reminds them of who they were before Christ. So look at verses 13 and 14, when he reminds them of that transformation. He says, God, speaking he here, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, never forget, believers, you were once trapped in the darkness of your sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins until I woke you up and you became a saving faith in Christ. And you went from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of my son. Never forget where you were before Jesus. And he says, that gospel That gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 23, he says, for that purpose, I have become a minister of that message, specifically a minister for the church of Jesus Christ. And that leads us into our our section of scripture this morning. We're going to be in Colossians 1, 24 through 29. And let's first read the entire passage before we dig into it this morning. So look at verse 24. Right after he says, because of this calling to be a minister, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Remember, he's speaking to the church. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. American author William Ward said this about what it takes to be a great teacher. He says, a mediocre teacher tells, the good teacher explains, the superior teacher demonstrates, but the great teacher inspires, inspires in a way for actual change. Paul, in this section of scripture, speaks from his experience, demonstrating to the church here, saying, my desire is as I tell you, my approach to ministry, that you would be motivated in a way, inspired in a way, that you will emulate my approach 
to the mission God has given me. So that, that's our purpose. We're gonna pull out some truths we see here from Paul to answer that question. How do we know? How do you know with confidence that you're ready every single day for the mission God has for you? So let's dig in. Look again at verse 24 as we get uh, into this passage. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. You might look at that and say, time out here. How could he say that something is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is he saying what Jesus Christ did on the cross was not enough for the sacrifice and the the penalty of my sin, therefore we have to make some of that up? It, It just wasn't enough. He's not talking about the cross here. We know scripture clearly shows, we've been through it all through Hebrews, that that once and for all sacrifice for Christ was enough. It finished the job. What he is talking about is the afflictions and the sufferings of Christ's church. Paul is saying, I rejoice in my mission every day because as I go out and even now as I am in chains in prison, Christ is with me. And when I suffer, he suffers with me. You see, the amazing thing about Paul's testimony is he knew this from the other side of the spectrum. Before he became Paul, the great apostle and teacher, he was Saul. He was a leader in the persecution of the church. And I, I can, you can get really messed up going back to Saul and Paul and Saul and Paul. I'm going to call him Paul throughout here. So uh, before Paul's conversion, in Acts chapter 7, He's leading this effort against the church. Stephen is martyred, stoned to death. And it says, it's a a chilling verse. In Acts 8.1, it says, and Paul approved his execution. Think about that. That's who he was. Approved the execution of a believer and leader in Christ. And it says that Paul ravaged the community. He went out trying to arrest as many believers as possible. That's who he was. That's who he was. And look what happens in Acts chapter 9. When Jesus, which is a reminder, no matter how far gone you think somebody is, Jesus can grab their heart. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 9. It will be on the screen. Speaking of Paul, it says, He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Jesus. He didn't say, why did you approve Stephen's death? Why are you persecuting my church? No, no. He says, why are you persecuting me? And he gets very literal, right? Who are you, Lord? I'll make it clear for you, Saul. I am Jesus, and I'm the one you are persecuting. You see, Paul knew on the other side of this that when the church suffers, Jesus is with them. And Jesus bears those sufferings with them as he is the head of the church. And that's why in verse 24 of Colossians 1, Paul says, I rejoice Every day I rejoice, not knowing what may happen to me because I'm secure in Christ. He is with me. So here's the first thing, church. And we're looking at Paul's example and the way he lived his mission for Christ. If you want to be equipped for the mission God has for you, it starts with a proper attitude. An attitude every day. Come what may, I am going to rejoice knowing Christ goes with me. When you share the gospel with your family, co-workers, friends, neighbors, Jesus is right there with you. 
He is right there with you. And only he, through the power of the Spirit, can open their heart. And, and when we hold fast in a world that continues to run away from the word of God, when we hold fast on the biblical truths, on such things as marriage, sexuality, life at conception, when the world goes against us, we can hold fast because Jesus is with us. Nothing can shake that. You are secure in him. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So last week, I uh, got a little dose of this in Wilkinsburg. A few of you are on the lobby, and you said, hey, I saw you on the news. And I said, yeah, not the way I wanted to be on the news. You know, my first newscast, I didn't want it to be about uh, theft in Wilkinsburg. But maybe you have seen, maybe you have not, uh, but uh, we got robbed in Wilkinsburg in our campus last Saturday morning around 3 a.m., uh, a gentleman broke in through one of our windows and wiped us clean of every form of our audio and sound equipment in our worship center. I was in Honduras, no clue what's going on, uh, and our worship team and our breakfast team, children's team shows up Sunday morning and everything's gone in the worship center. And uh, I didn't know about it actually until Monday morning because they decided, why well, notify Dave? He's in Honduras. Nothing's going to uh, and not going to help him to know. I only got one text from someone who thought I knew, and the text said something like, after everything Ted's been through this morning, he's rocking now, like the worship. And I'm thinking, what did Ted do? Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> like, what did Ted do uh, this morning? And then Monday, uh, I, I FaceTime my wife. I got some Wi-Fi, and the first thing she says Man, that was a rough day yesterday. And again, I'm like, what did Ted do? Like, I leave one Sunday. What, what did he do? She went on to tell me, obviously, that, that our, our worship equipment was stolen. So I'm in El Salvador. And for five hours in the airport, I get some Wi-Fi at a cafe. And all these texts and emails are streaming in. I'm on the phone with people. And I tell you what, I, am so, I was so encouraged because all of them said, I know you heard about this, but let me tell you about this person who stepped up. Let me tell you how um, the folks here from the South Hills brought the, the video so we could have a sermon, how people went to the school next door, they let us borrow microphones, and they all talked about this moment. They said right when they found out it happened, there was a group, about 20 or 30 of them, our, our, our initial group that gets there on Sundays. They said, Ted circled us up in the worship center. We held hands, and we prayed, God... Use this moment to glorify you this morning. Let it not affect our praise. And uh, Corey, who runs our tech in Wilkinsburg, in the email he sent to me, I love how he worded it. He says, evil cannot overcome God, especially when praising his name is at stake. I love that, right? Nothing can stop us from at least waking up every day with an attitude that, God, whatever happens today, I'm going to rejoice in the name of Jesus. I'm going to praise you. That's my attitude as I approach the mission you have for us. Let that be who we are. Um, I will let you know that the gentleman was arrested yesterday. Um, and pray for him. We want life change. What a testimony would happen. And I might even have a chance to meet him uh, this week and, and let him know we forgive him and, and keep the whole situation in prayer. But God has already moved mightily through that situation. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse 25. Paul says that mission for the church, 
of which he became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul says here that his call to ministry is not something on his own initiative, but God sovereignly placed him. The stewardship of God, the commissioning of God put him where he's supposed to be. Never forget that. The family you're in, the job you have, the community in, God's placed you there. It's not some random situation of events. He has you there for a sovereign purpose. And he says the overarching mission of this stewardship is to do what? He says to make the word of God fully known. That's the anchor to his mission. Paul, although he preached the gospel and wanted to see people come to a saving faith in Christ, says, I don't want to leave people as spiritual infants. I want them to grow in Christ, be empowered in Christ, that one day I can present them fully mature in the Lord. The Fuller Institute and uh, the Francis A. Schaeffer Institute of Church Leadership Development. That's a long name there. Uh, but they did a study together for 15 years. What they found was in the 70s and 80s, early 90s, that the, they're seeing church just die, close their doors, and they want to know what's going on. So the question they say in their study is, we want to answer this question, quote, why are so many churches failing? That was their study, 15 years. They state in their findings over that period, quote, every year more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to just over 1,000 new churches starting. And under their reasons, top reasons for why the church was failing and people were closing their doors is they said many churches no longer are proclaiming the full truth of God's word. Dr. Richard Krieger states this, and he makes it very clear. Uh, he says this, listen to these words, quote, I need to make this clear. In my many years of research since the late 1970s, the churches that do and or want to water down the message to attract more people make a huge mistake. He gets blunt here. He says, they neuter the power and purpose of the church to which Christ called us. When discipleship and instruction are ignored, he is ignored. And we are seeing that evangelicals are losing their way by moving from his way. As the building of people to, to serve and be involved in the church becomes more and more absent, as well as real Christian involvement with the community. Real Christian service comes from a heartfelt response to God's work in us. And he ends with this. If there is not solid biblical instruction there will be no conviction or learning of what we are and can do. In order for the church, in order for every believer to really be on the track of knowing I am following the mission God has for me, for us, we must, we must pursue the full truth of God's word. So here's the second one for you. If you want to be equipped for the mission God has for you each day, well, you need the right message. What are you taking with you? Know and teach the fullness of God's word. If a young person was saying, hey, I want to plant a church or I'm going to go overseas, what's the, what's the strategy I should do? I would say, well, first, become a better student of the word of God like you've never been before. Become more hungry and thirsty for knowing God's word. Here at the Bible Chapel, if you're new with us at any of our campuses, our theme verse for the church is John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's been our mission for 50 years. 
years. And at the church, we challenge you often not just to be in God's word daily on your own, but be in God's word and Christian fellowship. We have Bible studies and groups at every campus. Find a way to get connected with other believers to study God's word. For us to be on the right path. Think about this, 4,000 people across all our campuses. If 4,000 people were committed to being in God's word daily and pursuing the truth of his word, what impact just that alone would do for the mission God has for the Bible chapel as one body. All right, look at verses 26 and 27. Speaking of the fullness of this truth, it includes this mystery. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations was now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I got excited, kept going there. Sorry about that. So this mystery, right? A mystery in scripture is something that was once hidden that God has now revealed. That that word Gentile in both the Hebrew and Greek means all nations. And basically for the Jews, it represented every single person that wasn't a Jew. And therefore, Gentiles were pagans in the eyes of Jews because they did not serve the one true God. And, and the Jews knew, Scripture was clear, that one day this, this salvation message would go to all nations. The Old Testament talks about that. But the mystery was, how is God going to unite a Jewish believer and a Gentile believer? Two groups who have been on opposing sides for history past. How will God unite this group? Will they be separate bodies? How would this work? And he says that mystery is actually a simple answer. Look again at verse 27. He says, the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Well, what's the mystery? How does God do that? It's Christ in you. He says, as one body now, the fact that we are in Christ together, that's what unites every single believer. Ephesians 3, 6, Paul said the same language. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. They are members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And he says that is a motivator for him. Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I love that truth. There is no one too far gone that God cannot grab their heart, draw them to himself, and invite them into this body that we share, the body of Christ. So I want to do a little exercise across all uh, our campuses. Hopefully you're well rested. You got another hour of sleep. If not, this will uh, wake you up a little bit uh, this morning. But I want you to turn around in your chairs. If you want to stand, feel free. But I want you to scan the whole worship center. Look at who's here with you. Go ahead. Look around, turn your seats, look around who's with you. Good work. The, the Saturday night crew started laughing at each other. I have no idea why they were uh, laughing at each other, but uh, you did that well. Here, here's why I did. How many of you probably saw a face you've never seen before? Anybody see people either you've never met before? Right? We got a sanctuary full, the campuses also, of a bunch of people who without Christ probably would have never met. 
they would have never been brought together in, in this unity. That's the beauty of the church. God takes sinners who typically would not associate with one another. We talk about unity in our country. The, the country needs Christ. He's the unified factor that we need. He takes us from different ages, different races, different economic backgrounds, and he unites us into this one body with a single purpose of praising God, living for him. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's what he does. In Wilkinsburg, I love, I love sitting back uh, when we start worship and looking at this group of people. And I'm like, man, this group of people do not belong together typically. It is a diverse group of people, yet we come together unified in Christ for worship. So, so, so here's my challenge in this one. If you want to be equipped for the mission God has for you, you need the necessary support. You need to connect and engage with the body of Christ. That's those same people you just looked at at all our campuses. That that's the only time you see the body of Christ. That the only time you're engaged is Sunday mornings. You are not going to be as equipped as you could be if you were more engaged with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's called the family of God. We're not strangers in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to be united together in fellowship. I encourage you, if you are not connected with the body of Christ, you need it. Your brothers and sisters need you. We are the family of God. We need that necessary support for the mission that God has for us. And I want to share a message. Uh, if you're here today and, and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at all of our campuses, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be honest. Right now, you are not my brother or sister in Christ. You're not. Right now, instead of being part of the family of God, Scripture says you're an enemy of God. Not because he doesn't love you. He loves you more than you could ever know. But because of your sin, you are separated from God, just like I was. Separated from God. And the only way to be welcomed into the family of God is when you stop trusting in yourself for your salvation, stop believing there's another way to the Lord. It's not your good works. It's not a baptism. It's, not, it's trusting in Jesus. The fact that he died on the cross for your sins, he loved you that much. And he rose from the grave, conquering death once and for all. And today... If you will trust in him alone for your salvation, not only will you be eternally secure, you will be welcome into the family of God. I would love to. I would love to hear that at every campus today, we welcome new brothers and sisters in Christ to our family. And a lot of you may come from broken families here in this world. And I'm sorry for that. I see it a lot in Wilkinsburg. But what a beautiful thing that, that we can share, that we are brought into a family, not based off our DNA or blood in our veins, but based off the redemption of our sins in Christ. We're united by the Spirit of God in our lives. And if you've never trusted in him, my prayer is that you'll come up after service at any campus, and we would love to talk with you more. If you have questions, don't leave. Love to talk to you more about what it means to trust in Jesus. And believers, again, what are you doing? Are you, are you connected to the body with that necessary support that we all need? All right, look at verse 28. Paul says, speaking of that message that unites all believers in Christ, he says, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim. 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Again, Paul's aim was not just to have a bunch of new converts and leave them there. He wanted to pour into them to see them grow in Christ and check out what he does. Paul has been saying throughout this passage, I do this, I do this, this is my mission. And now he changes to what? He says, Jesus is the one that we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul is saying, church, the growth of the church is not up to just the pastors or the elders or the leaders of of your core group. It's every believer's responsibility to take part in the maturity of their brothers and sisters. This is a group effort. As we proclaim Christ, sometimes we got to challenge people if they go off the path in Christ. We do this together, not not so a pastor or uh, a church leadership can present a body, but together we go, presenting ourselves fully mature in Christ. So so here's the fourth thing. If you want to pursue the mission God has for you, God's word is clear. It's going to take personal investment on your end. And this includes discipleship. Discipleship, which is that form of pouring into your brothers and sisters one-on-one, few-on-few, it's pivotal to the church. At the Bible Chapel, that's why we have put a lot of resources, time, and energy into Living Grounded, which is our own discipleship material. It's 12 sessions that we believe teaches the biblical framework of who we are as the Bible Chapel that is solely focused on following God's word. So I want to do two challenges. I know I'm challenging a lot this morning. Uh, you're going to say every time Dave preaches, all he does is challenge us, but... Uh, I want to challenge you again here. If you've been coming to the Bible Chapel for some time at any one of our campuses and you have yet to get involved in discipleship, specifically Living Grounded, why not? If you're a believer, it's important that you have someone investing in you. We did not create Living Grounded to make it hard to be a member. We did it because we care and want to make sure anyone that we say is a member of our church that we can confidently say that we have invested in them and believe that they are equipped for the mission of being a member here. That's why we do it. It, If you're on the fence, come talk to us. We would love to invest in you. We have so many options to meet your schedule, one-on-one, few-on-few. We have classes uh, for Living Ground. We want to invest in you. And here's my second challenge for, for Bible Chapel members to our family here. Shame on us if we are not actively pursuing people to invest in. Sometimes that person who's been coming for weeks and are not involved, they just need someone to come invite them. Someone to say, hey, I've seen you in Washington a few weeks, in Robinson, Ross, Draper, Wilkesburg. I've seen you here. Are you connected? Can I take you out for coffee? Or can we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ uh, here at the Bible Chapel? Sometimes it takes an invitation. That's what changed my life and my wife. 12 years ago, we were at a Baptist church. We were church hopping. And we, were, we went to a, a church, and we were about to leave after service. And we, we really thought it was a solid biblical church. We didn't know. And, and a guy grabbed me and said, hey, I saw you guys here last week. Come down to the breakfast hour. And I'm like, all right. So we go down to the breakfast hour. He introduced us to a few people. He says, come to our class. So we go to his class. 
We get connected with this class. We end up being there for four years. God gets us involved in youth ministry, which spearheads uh, my, my calling uh, to ministry. And I look back at, his name was Nate. What if Nate never came up to me and said, I'm Nate. Can I help you get connected? You never know how far that invitation will go. All right, look at verse 29. Paul says his work for the church is not easy. He's pretty direct here as well. He says, for this mission, I toil. That word toil means to work to the point of exhaustion. And the word struggling is even stronger in the Greek. Uh, That word is how we derive our English word agony. He says to the point of exhaustion, to the point of agony, I work with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul ends this section, again, using it to inspire the mission of the church here. He is completely honest with them and says, authentic faith to pursue the mission God has for us as the church It will take great energy. You will need to make sacrifices. You will face persecution. Remember, he's in prison writing this. And he says it's going to cost you something too. For some of you, it's your time, right? Getting other things removed so you can put this at the forefront. And at times, we're going to face persecution as well. But I love this verse, right? Because what does he say? He says, I toil, I struggle with, his, with Paul's energy. No, he says with his energy, speaking about Jesus Christ, that Jesus powerfully works with many. Paul said, it's going to take sacrifice on your end, church. It's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take personal investment. You're going to have rough Days where you don't want to wake up that next day joyful or rejoicing in Christ. And he says, but the power you need to do that is not your own. It's the power of Christ within you. God has given every believer all the power we need for the mission he has for us. And and, and if we just sit around each day wanting God to, to just give us the power, it's there, but doesn't work that way. The way it works is on our end, we get into his word every day. We pray every day. We stay connected to the body of Christ. We personally invest in one another. And when we do those things, God's going to work his spirit in our lives to give us the power we need to face each day for the mission work that God has for your life. So I was... uh, talking to Tom Rojan yesterday, and uh, he's our campus pastor in Robinson, and Tom's getting ready to run his first ever full marathon. Um, I did that two years ago, and if you ever think about doing it, don't. No, I shouldn't say that, but uh, it's a lot of work, a lot of time, and um, I was telling him, you know, I thought, I actually thought about that this week, because even in my, I mean, in my own life, right, we all, we all struggle with giving God our best, making excuses for why we can't do this or that. I remember in the marathon, we just had our daughter Faith, and I said, I don't have time. I don't have time to train. I mean, this is like 10 hours a week you got to put in the running to prepare for this thing. But, but eventually, uh, by the challenge of Kristen's cousins who were doing the marathon, I couldn't back down. So I, uh, I did it. 
And guess what happened? Somehow, somehow, I found the time to run every week. It, it happened because it was that essential to me. I made it a priority. Our walk with Jesus, we'll know if it's our true priority. Knowing his mission in our life is our true priority. If we look at our time and say, yeah, the things I give up are not being in his word, not prayer, not Christian fellowship, not investing in one another. No, those are essential to me. So I'm going to make sure that happens because it's that essential to me. But remember, it's the work of Christ in us that gives us the power to do. And that was the last point that I don't want to skip again. The, be equipped for the mission God has for you by having the correct power source. Church, it's not your power. It's the power of Christ in us to do his work. I'm going to invite uh, the worship teams to get ready at, uh, at every campus uh, today as we prepare to close. And, and again, going off that theme, I was thinking of all the sacrifices we make uh, each day for the things that we truly feel are essential. Uh, I know some guys uh, in my friend's circle who get up at 4.30 to hit the gym, right? The gym's that important to it. They get to the gym. Um, I, I know some people just purchased that iPhone X. Have anybody seen the iPhone X? You look at it and it unlocks. That's a little scary to me, but $1,000. That phone's $1,000. And for some... That's a big stretch for their budget. But if they think it's essential, they'll make it happen. Uh, I made the mistake in the 9 o'clock service by saying the Steelers play today. And everyone somehow right away said, they're on a bye week. They don't play today. <laughs> so I messed up there. But I said, but when they do play, right, on Sunday afternoons, no matter what we got to get done, the grass can be up to here. We're going to carve out those three hours. It's essential to us. Church, how essential is it to every one of us to make sure that on our end, relying on the power of Christ in us, that we're pursuing the mission he has for our lives. If you're here today at any campus, we're about to turn over the services and, and you need prayer. Again, if you've never trusted in Christ, we would love to pray with you. Again, to become a brother or sister into the family of God through the forgiveness of your sins. And, and believers, if there's an area where the Lord has spoken to you, yeah, I, I'm off track here. My, my walk with the Lord is not the priority it should be. You need the necessary support. And today, that might just be prayer. We would love to pray with you if you would come forward at any campus this morning. 